unique yet common sense opinions on sports. This is Jeff Allen Sports Talk. And thanks again for joining the show. Coming up, uh, it's a two-for-one special. Yes, two guests for the price of one. A couple of my stable of sports guys. Joe Finger, he's my baseball guy. My former colleague at WKIS back in the 1980s. And we will be joined by Jay Cresswell, my former WGTO colleague in the 90s, who's program director at KLUV in Dallas, Texas. Uh, also one of the biggest baseball fans I know. So we're going to get together, talk about the World Series. We'll talk about some other sports, and they're going to help me out with the TV theme segment too. So it's action-packed with those two guys. They're standing by in the virtual green room and will be here momentarily. First, want to give a tip of the cap and wish happy retirement to Doc Emmerich, the sensational NBC NHL announcer. One of the best play-by-play men ever, and, and, and I think he could have done any sport. He's a big baseball fan. I would have loved to have heard him do a college football game because I think he would have had the perfect tone for that. But Doc Emmerich's one of those guys who wasn't trying to be a star, and he set up his analyst usually very beautifully. And was just so eloquent in the way he did play-by-play. Just so clean. Knew how to punch it up when it was excitement. And you could tell he loved doing hockey games. Just the pure joy you would hear. And the excitement. And it could have been two last place teams playing. And you would have thought it was a championship battle. That's how good Mike Doc Emmerich is. And that would be a big void. To fill at NBC. I wonder if it's going to be Kenny Albert. Possibly. Uh, have to wait and see on that. But uh, Doc is just fantastic. And again, one of those guys that you just... He's from that era of play-by-play guys. You really felt like they were coming into your living room to pal around with you while you were watching the sporting event. Now, on the flip side of that, you guys know I'm not really a big Joe Buck fan. And I don't... My frustrations with him is... And I'm a guy who likes snark, so that's not the reason. But he seems to think everything he says is so outright, outlandishly funny. And he always has to say, well, that's a good play by him. Like, he has to validate what's a good play and what isn't. And he was particularly annoying... And I know you're going to say, well, you're just a Braves fan. I will table that. But during the NLCS. And Joe Buck is one of those guys who really thinks he hates their team. And I think there's a little something there to that. I don't think he hates everybody's team. But my goodness gracious, the way he went on and slobbered over the Dodgers... And I really tried to set aside and keep an open mind. And maybe my bias won't let me. I don't know. I'll be upfront about that. But to me, the punch-up level when the Dodgers did something noteworthy, he was off the charts. The Braves punch it up a little bit. Like, okay, it's a big play, but just not nearly as excited as he was whenever the Dodgers, oh my, and boy, 
Corey Seager. He's the president of the Corey Seager fan club. Now, hey, guy had a great series, but we'll not discount that in any way, shape, or form because he was outstanding. But I felt the bias. I had to finally just go back to listening to Braves Radio syncing up the MLB app with my TV feed. And yes, I know I went the complete opposite. I wanted my, my full home team effect. But when I watch a national broadcast, I want it done like Doc Emmerich, not like Joe Buck. All right, it is my pleasure to introduce to the program not one but two fantastic guests. Both are former colleagues of mine in the radio business. Jay Cresswell of KLUV in Dallas and our baseball guy here on the podcast, Joe Finger. Gentlemen, thank you so much for both being here on the program tonight. I'm great, Jeff. Thanks for having me. I'm glad Joe's here as well. That's right. Joe Finger, who has uh, been a frequent guest on the podcast, is the baseball analyst from our stable to uh, talk about baseball. Joe, welcome back. Doing great, Jeff. It's, it's good to be on with you and Jay uh, tonight. I, I think we've all worked with each other in various combinations in radio, but we were never at the same station, all three of us at the same time. Yeah, yes, right. yes, and uh, yes, yeah, so nobody might care about us, but uh, I'll, I'll, break it, I'll, break it, I'll break it down. You know, so Joe and I worked together at WKIS in the 1980s. Then uh, Joe worked with Jay at uh, Q96, uh, 80s, 90s, right? Somewhere 89. in that. 89. Uh, Jeff, Jeff, it's, 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 Jeff, it wasn't Q96. It's classic rock and roll Q96 <laughs> FM. Okay, that's, you know, we just want to, you know, I just had to say that once for old time's sake. Thank you. Uh, it was late 89 and early 90. Yeah. Okay, there you go. And then Jay and I worked together at WGTO in the 90s. So we, uh, we were, were, were all colleagues, but we never worked together at the same time until now. So, Amazing. Yes. Mark so the least, date. Yes, thanks to the magic of podcasting and the, the, the World Wide Web, we were able to do this. So uh, uh, there you go. So, uh, and the last we were together uh, was uh, in March. Uh, it was, uh, we were going to go to a spring training game in Dunedin and, uh, the baseball world and the rest of the sports world shut down because of COVID. And so we decided to go and have lunch in Dunedin anyway. Joe and I drove over and met Jay, who comes to spring training in Florida every year. So we had a grand old time doing this. This is our first time getting together since then. Have you, have you either, have either one of you been to a restaurant since? Uh, yes. Um, a couple of times this summer while we took a little short trip up to Amelia Island, but we've, uh, generally are staying, staying put, not, not venturing out too much, just playing it safe. I, uh, I've gotten up to once a week, um, same place. I know how it works, uh, safe. Uh, I still do a lot of, uh, takeout, but for the most part, I'm eating at home. I mean, I would say, you know, in the past before COVID, I would go out to lunch five days a week. Mm. Now it's one, maybe. And, uh, and I just buy healthy lunches. I've actually lost weight being at home. I'm one of the few, I guess. <laughs> you are one of the few, Jay. 
you yeah. outlier you yes <laughs> <laughs> i wish i could say the same thing um but yeah no i've i've been out a couple of times uh with my parents both times and making sure that we you know keep them away from people because they're in the older bracket and have to yep. make sure they're taken care of so uh anyway uh yeah, March seems like about five years ago. <laughs> and it's still going. Yeah, and it's still going. Yes, uh, most definitely. So um, before we dive into what's happened in the baseball playoffs, uh, you know, let me get your, both of your thoughts on the truncated 60-game season. Um, how did you think it went, Jay? You know, better than I anticipated uh, last time you had me on, we talked about all the little quirks that put the guy on second in extra innings and the and the universal DH and all that. And, you know, I'm, I'm very much a traditionalist, so I was all set to not like this. Yet I think it came out pretty well. I think the two best teams are in the World Series. Um, the Yankees had a great year, but they lost, so that makes most people happy. <laughs> yes. Except from New York. Um, but I'm, I'm really pleased with how the 60-game season went. Joe? Yeah, I tend to agree with Jay. Uh, I think early on, we wondered how far they were going to be able to go. There were, you know, a few outbreaks. I remember the Cardinals got off to a rough start, but uh, the league was able to weather the storm. And, you know, I found myself interested in how the teams were going and, uh, and you know, how long they how long it would take before the Twins were eliminated in the first round of the playoffs, as they always are. Um, but overall, yeah, I thought it went well. And as, as far as some of the rules changes, you know, I probably have a little bit more open mind to them now. I'm kind of like Jay, pretty much a traditionalist. But, you know, give things a chance and see how they play out. Sometimes you can, you know, modify your perspective on things. So overall, I thought, I thought things went pretty well. Yeah, and I think one of the interesting aspects is baseball, you know, whether they make any inroads or not, I know one of the things is, you know, kids aren't brought up on baseball like we were. Right. And, you know, I'm thinking, you know, maybe this 60 game season and the, and the quick sprint kind of plays to the, the, the younger audience with a short attention span. So they may have been able to take advantage and, and, and garner some fans they may not have gotten before. True. You know what? Um, plus, what else was there to do? Hmm. Um, you know, if you're a sports fanatic like we are, granted, the NBA was running and hockey was running and the NFL was getting going but in the, in the early part when baseball first got started it was the only game in town and i think people were looking for that you could watch it at all times of the day if you're working from home you have the baseball game on in the background and i think that may have actually helped the sport yeah it did provide some sense of normalcy to people's everyday routine i suppose even if you weren't a real big baseball fan just knowing that uh, the league was back in playing, had to provide some sort of uh, reassurance that uh, we were in some ways uh, carrying on despite the, uh, the pandemic. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. And I, Joe, Joe, you and I talked about it too, about, you know, just how uplifting it was just to have something of normal to watch. Indeed. I, yeah. I remember we did uh, very much so. And I, and I think it was very true. Yeah. Uh, so uh, as far as the playoffs went, you know, we, you know, we did get the two best teams coming out. Um, maybe um, one of them is not the most liked team, which, uh, you know, I will painfully talk about later. But uh, uh, so, you know, it was what the extra round, what do you think that brought to it? Well, I, when, when we last spoke, Jeff, I think I mentioned that I thought uh, there could be some upsets early on and with an extra round and more teams that – 
some of the higher seeds wouldn't fare that well. And I suppose to an extent that's true, although as we now know, the top seed in each team actually made it to the World Series, which I suppose is somewhat unusual, but, but there were you know, twins and A's met an early demise, and I think it kept, kept things interesting. The Astros certainly put on a good show, love them or hate them. And so I think it made things interesting uh, from that perspective, but I, I don't know that I'd want to see that, um, you know, that big of a field every year. Agree completely with Joe on that one. I think being a special, quote, different year, it added some more excitement and maybe some more fan interest by adding another round of the playoffs and some extra teams. But, you know, I hate, again, being a traditionalist, I would hate to see baseball get bogged down like hockey and basketball does where more than half the league makes it to the playoffs and the regular season becomes so what. Um, I'd, I'd be looking forward to going back to the regular playoff setup next year. Would you be in favor of a wild card going from a single game to a best of three? I would. Yeah, I, I don't have a problem with that. I, I, you know, a little bit of a wild card spices it up a little bit, but it would just be one, you know, one component to a, to a, a broader uh, playoff field, more in line with what we've been accustomed to seeing in, in, in years prior to yeah, and I would, you know, and I would also kind of uh, fall into that camp. Yeah, I, I don't want to see two months worth of playoffs uh, like they like they do like they do elsewhere. And 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 you know, you you kind of look at the the aspect of you know with the wild card. You know, I think having at least not being a one game. You know, if you had that one bad day, you're not penalized. Uh, you know, if you have two bad days, that's on you. <laughs> but uh, but the one, you know, I, I'm kind of I'm kind of I'm I'm kind of up for having a best of three, at least in that uh, particular round as far as that concerned. So, you know, again, we have the two best teams into the World Series. I mean, you know, we actually had the top two teams in the National League. The Astros were kind of the outlier, uh, you know, getting hot at the right time. And do you think they, you know, the Astros were able to, by avoiding the the ridicule and the and all the the nastiness that would have gone through a big 162 with them. Do you think that uh, that helped them in this uh, playoff scenario this year? Well, I put my psychologist cap on for a minute. If I were a psychologist, which I'm really not, but we'll pretend. Um, um, I it could have Jeff, but you know we've been around long enough to know that sometimes teams just get hot and you get hot and play well at the right time. That's a, a veteran team with some good ball players. They beat Minnesota on pitching, shutting down still a pretty good uh, hitting twins team. And from what I recall, when they played the A's, you know, they beat Oakland and that was, there were some games there that was a real slug fest. So the characteristics of those two series didn't necessarily match. It's, it's just that, you know, I think Houston played well and did what they had to do at the right time, much to my frustration, but not, you know, that's neither here nor there. So I, I wouldn't read, I wouldn't read a whole lot into that, but you know, who's to say. And judging by the way the Astros have come out uh, with a chip on their shoulder, instead of admitting guilt, that's Jay's opinion. Um, they probably could have used some more, you know, from getting booed for 162 games and put more of a chip on their shoulder. I think Joe nailed it in that they got hot at the right time. And that's how they made it as far as they did. I mean, they're a good team. And you know what? They're coming up on their window is probably closing in the next year or two. So I think they just got it together and they played very good baseball right near the end. Mm. 
Now, let me ask you guys, guys this, particularly now that we've, you know, ventured into the World Series, and I kind of felt this way during the NLCS, but uh, do you think there is a quote-unquote national bias for wanting the Dodgers to be successful? Um, I'll, I'll, I'll kind of give you my opinion. I touched on it a little bit before bringing you guys on the show. And, you know, I, and I will freely admit to not being Joe Buck's biggest fan, but I thought his excitement level for the Dodgers far outweighed that for his excitement for the Braves. And, and yes, I am a homer, and I had to completely go opposite and go to the Braves audio because I was getting so annoyed. Do you think there is some national bias for the Dodgers? What do you think, Jay? Um, I do, and I don't think of it as a fan's bias for the Dodgers. I think of it as a network's bias for the mar- second largest market in America. Mm-hmm. Um, unlike Jeff, I like Joe Buck, and I can't tell that anybody's in favor or rooting against any other team. Um, and in fact, I've gotten to the point where when people complain about announcers, I just, I don't even think about it, you know. Um, but I don't doubt, just like the Yankees and the Red Sox and the Cubs, there is a certain bias for the Dodgers, despite their $6 billion payroll. <laughs> So more of a market-driven bias. I, speaking as one baseball fan, I'm not contributing to a national bias in favor of them. I've never liked them. And, Jay, I know you're not a Dodgers fan either. But being a major market, I'm sure I suppose there's always going to be that bias, probably not only in baseball but uh, in any other uh, professional sport, I suppose. Yep. Yeah, and it'll be interesting to see, you know, because I, can't, I also think, you know, since the, the, the Rays are not – nationally known and they haven't been for quite some time uh, but they continue to win and they continue to be successful that the storyline you know they get overshadowed by the Dodgers just it's you know probably based on market size alone I would I would definitely fall into that camp as well but uh, I think it's be, be very interesting to see you know if this series goes seven which you know I'll get your thoughts on that in, in a little bit I don't know. I just, I just kind of feel like there is definitely a, a, a pro Dodger thing going on here. So that's a, that's at least where I fall into that camp. And again, I could be a sore loser. <laughs> <laughs> hey, I, I wanted the Braves. <laughs> um, you know, and I will say this. We would call this transference in the mental health business. You're, you're having some transference issues right now, but that's understandable. I have that with the Yankees every year, or had up until this year. <laughs> well, you know, it's uh, I've always I've always been told that I needed to have my mind checked out, and this only verifies that. <laughs> uh, so, so you know, I will say this about the Dodgers. You know, as they advance and as they beat the Braves. And, you know, I think that what pains me the most is, you know, being on the doorstep one win away and watching it just slowly slip away. At least this time when the Braves played the Dodgers, it was a fair fight unlike two years ago because they totally had way more talent. We've kind of evened that up a little bit. And the one thing I will say the Dodgers are better at than the Braves, I think the big separation you saw was the fact that they will just – take pitches and foul off balls. And then when they get the pitch they like, they get to hit it out of the park. You know, and the Braves can be pretty good at that, but they they fall into that little trap sometimes of trying to make things happen too quickly. So I would definitely say that is why the Dodgers moved on because they were able to, uh, you know, 
take advantage. And, you know, and the Braves were not pitching ahead in the count, especially in game seven. And I knew that was going to haunt them eventually. And the base running blunders, they were never the same in those two games. They had the two base running issues. You're right. The, um, I saw a stat yesterday on MLB Network that the Dodgers uh, swung at the least bad pitches in Major League Baseball. So, like, you just said that, basically. So, what, they waited. They were Ted Williams. There, there's an old reference for you. Yeah. They waited for a pitch they could hit. And when they do, look, you know, look at Corey Seager. I mean, they, they just hit it out of the park. By the way, Jeff, from, from our last conversation, Ted Williams is a bum. I'm telling you, he's a <laughs> bum. But anyway, that's, um, that's another story. Yes, but go yeah, back and listen uh, to yeah. the previous podcast if you get the reference. <laughs> Yes. Yes. What Jay was talking about was true. I think that was kind of the storyline in in game one of the series. Uh, The Dodgers waited on a lot of pitches, uh, milked a lot of walks, and made the Rays pay for it. So that's a very valid uh, observation. And, and, you know, they've got some great hitters, and to be disciplined at the plate, uh, that makes them doubly tough. Yeah. And I think they have to win it this year because I think their window, you know, they've got guys about to go out into the free agent market and uh, yeah. there could be a shift there as well. So the Tampa Bay Rays, you know, this is a, a franchise, boy, they do things different, <laughs> but they do it well and it works for them. You know, the, the, the odd, you know, scenarios where they use an opener quite a bit, uh, they'll, make pitching changes at any time during the game. Um, you know, give me your thoughts on, uh, on how you're impressed by the Rays. Well, I'm begrudgingly impressed by them, actually. I've never been a Rays fan, but I can't ignore the obvious. They, they're not particularly a homegrown team. They've, a lot of the guys on the roster now, as it, from what I understand, were acquired in trades, but often under the radar, uh, guys that uh, had not yet hit the major league level what's this uh, kid they got out in left field or a rosarina yes you know it sounds like a sports venue you know like uh, live from a rosarina it's the (laughs) stanley cup finals but you know they keep doing it year after year uh cash uh kevin cash uh, platoons quite a bit uh platoons quite a bit and kind of reminds me of what earl weaver did with the orioles back in the late 70s and early 80s, he, he got guys platooning. Um, guys like John Lowenstein had career seasons as a plant, you know, a platoon player. And statistically, it seems to, seems to work for them. Yeah. I'd like to know how they have done such a great job at identifying talent early on because they continue to bring up players year after year after year, uh, kind of under the radar, and produce great teams at a very um, minimal payroll. So my hat is off to him for that, but I never did like the cowbells. So that means I'm still on a race. Fan for <laughs> yeah. And, and the Earl Weaver thing. Yeah. Yeah. I think he platooned everybody, but uh, Cal Ripken and Eddie Murray. So <laughs> those guys yeah, were pretty much. Yeah. Jay, your thoughts. Uh, first of all, I need to throw in a Kiko Garcia reference to the Orioles. <laughs> Kiko Garcia. Um, yes. Look, uh, you know, when the Rays were born and they were devil rays, Someone told them they should spend all this money and go out and sign all these um, established major league stars who were on steroids, Juan Gonzalez. Um, (laughs) And, you know, they got Wade Boggs in there and they got all these guys and a lot of them, the the crime dog was there, but he played really well. 
but they had injuries and they realized they were never going to be able to compete that way. Because first of all, they weren't going to draw those crowds to the stadium. They weren't going to be able to pay for it. You know, the team got sold. They had to come up with their own way of doing things. You know, I think it's kind of their own version of Billy Ball, although, you know, Billy Ball was all about getting on base percentage. The, the Rays just have their own way of doing that. You know, and, and like Joe hit on this right on the nose, they trade a lot. But apparently when they do that, they target the kind of person that they think is going to fit into their system or someone who they feel has not been properly, you know, groomed at their existing uh, place of employment, Tyler Glass now, um, Austin Meadows. Uh, being a Pirates fan, I know all those names. And Charlie Morton starting tomorrow night. Yeah. Um, you know, when we saw Charlie Morton when he was just starting in the majors, he was compared to Greg Maddox. I remember. Yep, because of the way he could place the ball and, and he, he knew to slow down when things got tense instead of speeding up. And he just got mismanaged, basically. And then he, you know, went to the Phillies, got hurt. Then he went to the Astros and found it. And he's doing it now with the Rays. They just had some system, you know, like you said, the opener. Kevin Cash is big on platooning people. I have to confess that until maybe the ALCS, I couldn't have told you more than four guys on the Rays. Okay, and now I'm watching Troy getting hits, and I'm watching – we all knew Kiermaier, he likes to run into the wall and catch the ball. Um, But all this platooning, it's working for them. Arena, it's working for them. They obviously have some system that works for them and good on them for making it this far. Yeah, and, you know, I may I may have, you know, captured a few names here and there during the course of the season. I know they played the Braves this season early on. Yeah. Um, but uh, – and, and, and they were a little slow out of the gate, but uh, – I tell you what, it is amazing what they do year after year. And uh, the sad part about it is, I mean, they're going to be playing in in front of more fans in Arlington than they do in their home stadium, which is a big crime. (laughs) It is. And, in fact, I have some friends in town from Tampa to watch the World Series. And, you know, they're going to be here for however many games that – well, it might be seven games. And I want to ask them how many games they went to uh, last season, you know, uh, at the Trop. Um, and even and even with social distancing, there's going to be more people here watching them than there are for their quote real home games. Yes, yeah, I home. remember. I remember making a quip early on to someone I was talking to about well, social distancing has never been a problem at Tropicana Field. I mean, it's just business. <laughs> it is Sentinel. The Orlando Sentinel had a, ran a column this week. I think it was who was it? Bianchi, uh, Mike Bianchi. Uh, Again, revisiting this issue of perhaps Tampa Bay moving at some point and maybe one day becoming the Orlando Dreamers. Wow. We're just dreaming. Yes. That, you know, that story has a way of surfacing every, every year when they have a really, really good season but continue to, you know, have such mediocre attendance. Yeah, yes. I know. Yeah, and, you know, and Pat Williams obviously is behind the Orlando Dreamer concept. I don't know that they would go to that name. I would hope not. But, uh, <laughs> uh, uh, but uh, you know, it was about a year ago he started this campaign. It was either, you know, get the raise or get somebody who's looking to, looking to move. Um, but we'll, we'll see. If, it would be interesting because, you know, Miami's been a failure. Yep. You know, Tampa's been a failure as far as the fan base is concerned. Orlando, the only thing it has going for that would be improved upon would be the the tourism and the fact that so many people come through to Orlando that they would be able to capture some of those 
some of those fans who come in from around the country and around the world. That's just kind of my thought where they would improve it. But I don't know to what extent. I think that's a still big question mark. Has, has Pat Williams said anything about where they would build a stadium? Not specifically. I haven't no. heard, but, but they, the stadium's the key. Well, yes. Yeah, they, you know they've they've looked at sites, and I think that's all they've uh, all they have said so far to this thing. And you know, you know, Disney's got lots of room out there. You know, they got a baseball stadium that they could probably just you know rebuild if yeah. if, if they if they felt the need to. But uh, it would be interesting to see. But uh, one way or the other, I guess you know, come what twenty twenty six or twenty twenty seven, the Rays may not be in the state of Florida anymore. True. <laughs> So we'll see how that goes. So how do you think the World Series plays out? We're locked up in a game apiece as we record on an off day in the series. First off day in the playoffs, uh, <laughs> true off day during play. So how do you think it's going to play out? Jay, you want to take a shot at it first? Yeah, I think it's going to be the Dodgers in six. Uh, I don't want it to be, um, but I just think they just have way too much talent. And, you know, they woke up in the middle of the Braves series in the NLCS and now that Clayton Kershaw has learned how to pitch in the postseason, uh, I think that is the big difference for that team. I'm kind of on the fence. I'll, I'll be the uh, outlier here. I'm going to go with Tampa Bay in, in seven. Uh, I like their starting pitching. Uh, and I, I, just, I just have a – I don't know. I'm kind of playing a hunch maybe. And the Dodgers have stumbled in recent years, so why not one more time? Yeah. <laughs> Although I will say this. Plus, I hate the Dodgers. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> well, I will say this, you know, I, I think the the other big thing is, you know, they're paying a lot of money for Mookie Betts. And so far, he's paying, I think he's paying off. Yeah, he's been great. He's been the best. Absolutely. Yeah. And he just doesn't do it with, do with the bat either. So, uh, anyway, so that's how we think the World Series is going to go. So, let's talk about our football teams. It's a little more therapy time for, for, for a couple of us, at least. Uh, for, well, we'll let Jay go first because he got, he's got a pretty good football team going there in Pittsburgh. Yeah. Um, I think it all stems around the fact that Ben is healthy and uh, they know how to draft wide receivers. Uh, and, I mean, they've got five now that, that are, just can do it all. And, you know, Juju Smith-Schuster – is probably going to be gone next year because his contract is due. And do they need to pay him $20 million a year when Chase Claypool and Deontay Johnson uh, and James Washington are all on their rookie deals? Mm-hmm. And they're, you know, they're paying, uh, paying Eric Ebron to play tight end too. And Deion Kane actually was active this last week. I think when you combine that fact with their defense uh, playing as well as it has, that they're in really good shape. I mean, they're in a tough division. Baltimore, you know, has been the king of the division for a couple of years. Cleveland is better, although I was very pleased with the outcome last Sunday. Um, but this Sunday, uh, Pittsburgh is at Tennessee. And I'm telling you, they're the team I'm afraid of. Mm-hmm. Because I know what Derrick Henry can do. And so the Steelers are good at stopping runners, you know, right in the backfield. But if you do that, what's Ryan Fitzpatrick going to do? Or excuse me, Tannehill. I read. I was reading about Fitzpatrick earlier today. <laughs> so what's Ryan Tannehill going to do? And I, over the past, 
one year exactly, he's thrown 30-some TDs and like five or six interceptions, and his QBR is huge, and he is just making it happen. So I think the key here is can the Steelers' defense stop the Tennessee offense? I think the Steelers' offense will be just fine. Yeah, and I tell you what, uh, yeah, and, and it just goes to show you what having a, an elite running attack We'll, we'll have uh, we'll do for you as well you know and, and one thing I kind of wanted to go over to you because I'm sure you saw the news that you know Le'Veon Bell's no longer with the New York Jets and now has been signed by Kansas City yep you know I, I, I find it interesting that you know the the Steelers have mastered one thing when you look at the fact that uh, they know how to part with guys yeah you know Antonio Brown Le'Veon Bell you know I mean I guess you know they muster what they can get out of these knuckleheads and they know when to part company. It's it's quite amazing. I'm going to throw in Martavis Bryant. Yes. I'm going to throw in um, – well, I can't think of his name right now. He caught a touchdown to be in the Super Bowl for the Giants. Oh, Plaxico Burris. Plaxico Burris, who shot himself in a nightclub in New York City. <laughs> um, th- they're good at parting with those guys at the right time. I mean, they parted with Emmanuel Sanders because they wanted to keep Antonio Brown. And I, at the time, it was the right move. Um and that also lends some credence to how amazing Mike Tomlin is as a manager uh, to have had Bell and Brown in the same locker room for five years and to have it last that long and be that productive without it blowing up until it did. That speaks very well to how he manages his players. And they also had another knucklehead and blunt. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. They had him and, they should have held on to him or suspended him instead of letting him to go to New England and win the Super Bowl. <laughs> no, it is truly amazing uh, what they had done, and and I'm so glad that they uh, they that they pummeled the Cleveland Browns because I'm so tired of that story. Um, yeah. And and you know you know they made such great you know because Cleveland routed the Cowboys. Who doesn't these days? Right. Um, you know, and they're making a big deal out of Mayfield. It's like, well, his team ran for over 300 yards. He didn't have to do anything. Yes. And, and why, why they think this guy is a commercial star is also beyond me too. I mean, I just don't get it. He's no Peyton Manning. <laughs> and, and first time, first time I saw him on, I guess it was progressive or something mm-hmm. where he was sitting in the football stadium and getting his wife nachos or whatever. I said to myself, who is that? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, no, I, I'm totally with you. And, 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 but, yeah, they keep throwing him in commercial after commercial, and it's like, he has no pizzazz. Yeah, agreed. Ah, well, good on you. So, Joe, the other opposite <laughs> end of the spectrum. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we put this off long enough, right? Yeah, yeah, what is we going heard the good on? News from what is Pittsburgh. Going, yeah, what's going on with the Vikings? Um, not much, <laughs> especially on the winning side. Um. But I, I will say I'm not as down on Kirk Cousins as the rest of the, uh, the universe appears to be. Uh, this was a transition year for the Vikings. They had a lot of turnover in personnel. They, they hit that hinge point or tipping point where they had a lot of veteran names that had the contracts that were no longer tenable. Uh, and so we, we had a lot of new faces on the defense. And I think there was sort of a um, maybe a, a, a little bit of uh, the temporary suspension of disbelief going on if, if, if you really thought the Vikings were going to be that great this year. But throw in a few injuries to go with the guys that they lost. Throw in the fact that we didn't have a, really a preseason and they're starting rookies on the corner. I, and they have faced probably the most lethal lineup of uh, quarterbacks of any team in the league. 
yeah. uh, to this point uh, with rookie cornerbacks, and, and the stats show it. Offensive line has been mediocre for years. Uh, Cousins has historically had uh, among the uh, lowest amount of time measured in uh, hundreds of seconds to get rid of the ball of any quarterback in the league. And, uh, well, that's why they're, that's why they're one in five. I, I think Cousins would be much better if he had a slightly better offensive line. Uh, but it's going to be a long season in Minnesota. Uh, the rumor mill, as we speak, is that they're ready to unload more players. Uh, the fire sale may be on in mm. Minnesota. Uh, and we'll see if 64-year-old Mike Zimmer uh, is going to be back next year or not. Uh, I, I don't know. I think it's an open question at this point. Well, he does have his Instagram girlfriend, apparently. So uh, he's, he's, he's not—he's not totally—he's not, totally, not going to be a total loser in the whole deal. <laughs> he's got a—he's got a nice ranch up in Montana, so, or wherever it is, or Wyoming, or I think maybe Montana. So he, he'll be just fine. Yeah. Well, but yeah, it's 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 tough. It's tough to watch. Yeah, and and you know, and and what you said is happening in Minnesota is also the same with my Cowboys. Once one of the most vaunted offensive lines in the league, those there's nobody left. <laughs> they're all they're all hurt or retired, and uh, yeah. you know, and, and you throw in the fact their de- defensive line is not playing up to snuff, and uh, you ain't gonna win games if if your line play on either side of the ball is is poor, and you know it's been it's been interesting to to watch. And, and, and Jay, you can kind of speak to this being in the market and getting to hear all the. Uh, the the die in the wool cowboy fans who uh, who are you know jumping off the ledge uh, <laughs> in in huge numbers but you know before Dak Prescott got hurt you know I mean they at least had a chance with Dak but the yeah. defense giving up forty points a game you know you're you're putting too much on your offense week after week so what is the uh, what is the the fan reaction this week, particularly with the story coming out uh, reported by Jane Slater that uh, you know there, there's some players who uh, don't think the coaching staff is very good. You know, I think it's a, a, a case of everybody pointing fingers at everyone else, and when that happens, it just snowballs, and you know, players going public with their problems. I'm not a huge fan of that. Uh, perhaps maybe they should play better. <laughs> um, now, mind you, there, there may be, they may be lacking in the instruction area or the way the coaches are not adjusting, which is the chief complaint, but just play better. One of the things, and Jeff and I traded emails on this a couple weeks ago, um, everyone says that the Cowboys defense looks like they're in slow motion they're not running after people with the ball. They're not hustling to get into place. And what came out of that was they were unsure of where, where they were supposed to be and what they were supposed to be doing. So they weren't just chasing over into that zone uh, because maybe I'm supposed to be over here and they're unsure. Now, if that is the case, that is a coaching problem. But I still don't think that you go public with that and air your dirty laundry. And, and I want you to keep in mind that dirty laundry came out without reporters having access to the locker room, mm-hmm. which means it really had to come out or had to be someone had to pointedly, you know, make sure that that was heard by the press. So that's not a good sign. Yeah. And, and I would say, too, you know, and, and I think Jane Slater worked for your your station cluster out there in Dallas, correct, at one time? Absolutely, and she's great. She is fantastic at her job. 
Yeah, so I would say there's probably some credence to it if she's reporting it because I couldn't yes. see her. I couldn't see her missing missing wildly on that. No, absolutely not. If if she said it, it happened. Yeah, um, and I will say this. Uh, you know, Mike McCarthy has left me in a lot of head scratching moments, and uh, you know, when 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 he's going for it on fourth down when he when he shouldn't and and. You know, when he should, he's not. Uh, you know, Joe, you probably saw a lot of this with uh, uh, Green Bay, with, you know, being a Vikings fan, that uh, sometimes McCarthy could be a little bit out there. Yeah, he, he, of course, he was very successful overall in Green Bay, but I remember him not being as prone to being the gambler that we've seen so far early on this season with the Cowboys, I you know, just wonder what happened in the, in the year off that he had, that he have an epiphany about how the game has changed and didn't want to be perceived as having been left behind, but <laughs> it hasn't worked out too well so far. Or, or, or Jerry said, well, you know, Jason didn't go for it enough. You need to get out there and, and go for it. Well, there is that. That's a good point. Yeah. Jason was, was very conservative. <laughs> Let me throw this in. Mike McCarthy is an offense coach. Mm-hmm. So he came here and the immediate assumption was that he would be calling the plays. And his first official announcement was that he would not be calling the plays. What's up with that? Yeah. And, you know, he decided he re- they retained Kellen Moore who uh, yep. called the plays under Jason Garrett last year. And yeah, I mean, I, I don't know. You, typically if you try to meld philosophies that, that aren't the same, you know, it does kind of lead to a little bit of confusion. I think there, there may be some, some issues there. Yeah. I've gotten Kevin Stefanski. That's all I can say. <laughs> <laughs> well, the Cowboys did do one smart thing in the off season and his name is Andy Dalton. And, uh, you know, I don't think Andy Dalton's ever going to set the league on fire, but it's the first time in years the Cowboys have a real backup quarterback. And, you know, he's kind of homegrown here. He's from Texas. He played at TCU. Uh, when Dak got hurt and then Dalton led them to a win, I said, well, that's why you have a real backup quarterback. So that was the first smart thing they did. But, you know, I, there, there are a lot of other things that may not be smart that they are doing right now. Yeah. And, and if the offensive line continues to you know, be in a shambles, if he doesn't have time to throw, it's going to be very, very tough. Yes. And, and uh, you know, and, and Zeke Elliott, you know, they're paying him a lot of money and he is not looking like an elite running back right now. No. Uh, one of the other reports that came out this week was something that Jason Garrett always did in practice was they had no fumbling drills. Mm. And that is not taking place now. And Zeke is fumbling. And so you may see the return of that to the Cowboys' practices. Yeah, I would, uh, I would hope so sooner than later, that's for sure. Yes. But, but, you know, it, it, when it's all said and done, as bad as they are, they're still in first place. <laughs> <laughs> it, it seems like a pun- it's really a punchline. It is, isn't it? it? It's crazy, you know, and 6-10 and, and and may win that division. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> who'd, who'd have thunk it? But, you know, only in 2020 could that happen. Right. That, that is correct. Yeah. Hey, Jeff, make a prediction. I'll make a prediction on the Vikings for their record for this year. What, um, what about the Cowboys? Unless you want me to go first. I'll go first. Um, I think, uh, I think six and 10, I think they will win the division just because Washington's awful. Yeah. Giant. I mean, you know, the, the giants couldn't beat the Cowboys and 
Philadelphia, I'm not so I'm I'm still not sold on them either. Yeah. Yeah. Six and ten sounds pretty reasonable. I from Minnesota, I'm gonna go three and thirteen and look forward to the draft next year. <laughs> <laughs> You're picking second or third somewhere in there, right? Probably. Probably. Maybe a quarterback. Who knows? Yeah. So Jay, the Steelers going to the Super Bowl? Uh, I don't know. Um, but when the season started, I was thinking 10 and six, since they already have five wins, I'm going to go 11 and five. Uh, they still have Baltimore twice. They have Tennessee. Uh, normally the Cowboys game would have been a tough one. I'm sure the Steelers will be favored in that one this time. And there's uh, one or two other eh, games down the road, but I think they're going to go 11 and five that may win the division, depending on how Baltimore does. Um, I think they're going to make it at least to the AFC championship game, though, because we've seen that the, the Chiefs have some warts um, and Baltimore has some warts. And Tennessee right now is the only thing in the AFC that's looking really good. Yeah. Well, I'll tell you what, though, I will say this about Kansas City. After bouncing, they bounced back after their loss to the Raiders and they won an ugly game in Buffalo. Yeah. yeah. And that's not easy to do. You're right. Yeah. Yeah, so I think that you know if if they can if they can win some of those slug it out slug fests like that, that they, you know they could be very very tough to stop from repeating. But uh, absolutely. So still lots of that to go. So we're going to do uh, the closing segment of the show. So I always close out with the TV theme, and uh, we're going to double the pleasure because both of you have brought a TV theme to the table uh, this week. So. Uh, uh, we will go first with Jay, and uh, this will be a long-running uh, series that say that you will instantly recognize the music. Listen up. All right, that is the theme from uh, Criminal Minds. Jay, why did you select that one? Uh, was one of my favorite shows. Uh, in the pandemic, I find myself watching air disasters, engineering catastrophes, <laughs> um, and repeats of Criminal Minds. And what's funny about it is all those are true stories, okay? And some of them are so disturbing, I can't watch them when they repeat the episodes. Mm. But I am trying to learn to force myself to watch it and go, it's just a TV show. <laughs> and since it's on constantly, it, and, and I, will, I will tell you this, the first TV theme I almost said is the one that Joe chose. Ah, okay. So, but I went to Criminal Minds, and I just can't get enough of it. Yeah, so, yeah, Criminal Minds, 15 seasons. Jay, this concluded uh, in February of 2020, ironically. Yes. Um, and then, you know, the main cast consisted of uh, uh, early on with Thomas Gibson, Mandy Patinkin, um, uh, Shamar Moore, uh, Matthew Gray Goobler, A.J. Cook, Kristen Vangsness. I think that's how you say her name. It is. Uh, you know, in every workplace should have a Penelope, right? Exactly. <laughs> that would, you know, and then and then you guys like you know Joe Mantegna, uh, uh, Padre Brewster, 
uh, Jennifer Love Hewitt has been on, Aisha Tyler, Adam Rodriguez, uh, you know, quite a, you know, shift of, of cast over the years, but, you know, they're, but they've constantly had that, uh, you know, that, uh, I think, the, you know, the dark, you know, serial killer thing, you know, I always think back to, you know, people that have done turns as guests on those show that, uh, that had remarkable villain performances, I think, of Jason Alexander. First one I was going to say. Yep. Uh, Will Wheaton would yep. be another one. And probably the best one, I would say, was Mark Hamill. Absolutely. Joe, have you, have you been a Criminal Minds fan? I, I am perhaps embarrassed to say that I've never watched the show. I'm, I know what it is, <laughs> but, but I'm going to have to check it out at this point. But I, I, in all of those seasons, I, I, never, I never watched it. You know, I never started watching it when it was on network television. I probably, you know, started watching when they were 10 years in, in repeats. And then I think I've seen every one about five times, especially this, especially this summer, because, you know, they run on what, five networks? Yes. <laughs> so you okay. can find Criminal Minds just about any time. I'll check it out. Any place. So uh, the theme that Jay almost chose, in, but the one that Joe did is this one. the theme from saint elsewhere that ran from 1982 to 1988 on nbc joe your pick was because i to this day think it was one is one of the all-time great shows um i first started watching it when i was at the university of florida and i don't think i ever missed an episode it was had the big ensemble cast ran on nbc like you said for six years was described by some as being like a hill street blues in a hospital setting and it turned out some actors who went on to even greater fame uh, guys like david morris ed begley jr howie mandel mark Harmon, denzel washington uh helen hunt was on there and there were probably some others that i i've overlooked but uh, what, what a great cast boy yeah no they yeah they were they were very deep in that roster that's for sure um uh i guess what was it um uh, 
you know, basically they were, they were the show centered around three doctors who were teaching at a, basically a rundown hospital. Um, yeah. Do- yeah. Dr. Oshlander, Dr. Craig and Dr. Westfall played respectively by Norman Lloyd William Daniels and the late Ed Flanders. You can see I've done a little research, but you know what? I went back and looked at that cast today, and they all those names came right back to me. I yep. said, "Yep, remember them as if it were yesterday." Yep. Yeah, and um, and you, uh, we were trading emails today, and you brought up an interesting trivia question um, in relation to uh, yeah, we were yeah, because all you, on that. you yeah you yeah. Had, you had chosen the last time you were on the show, Joe. You had chosen Room Two Twenty Two which, uh, uh, you know, everybody loves Karen Valentine. And uh, uh, yeah, we talked about Karen Valentine. Yep. And I, it occurred to me that um, Eric Lonneville, the actor who is now 68 years old, uh, one of the first series he appeared on as a high school student uh, was on Room 222 back around 1969, 70. And then later in St. Elsewhere, he played... Um, on that series throughout its run, uh, played the role of uh, Luther Hawkins, who started off as an orderly and ended up as a physician's assistant by the time this, the series ended. But he, he's one of those guys who forever looks young. I mean, yeah. he, he, he was 21 or 22, I think, when he was on Room 222 and easily passed as a probably a sophomore in high school. But one of those faces you never forget. Yeah, and uh, and, and you think about this, too. He, he probably still looks 20, <laughs> even even now. He also directed many episodes of St. Elsewhere. Indeed. Yeah. Very talented. Yeah. Yes, he certainly was. Yeah. Well, I have another neat connection uh, from, from this. Uh, you know, at one time, I had played a, a TV theme from a, a popular show in the, in the early 1980s, The White Shadow. Great show. And, uh, you know, Byron Stewart played Warren Coolidge, who ended up as Warren Coolidge on St. Elsewhere. Yep, and they made a reference to him yes. on St. Elsewhere, referencing back to the White Shadow. Yes. They did that a lot, Jay. I, I was reading up a little bit on that today, and there were a couple episodes that were apparently just chalked full of these uh, Easter eggs or these inside references, some of which I would not have been familiar with at the time. And it, it made me want to go back now and, and watch some of those episodes just to, uh, to see that because I didn't really ex- probably experience the full benefit of that uh, the first time around. One of the, uh, they were doing an autopsy get together afterwards with all the doctors to discuss why the person died. And they gave the name of the person that died. And the inside story was it was someone who had just been fired from the show. <laughs> <laughs> oh Yeah. You gotta, you gotta love the inside jokes. When, yeah, when, when I had no idea they t- took it to that extreme. I have a uh, St. Elsewhere tie-in to sports. Oh, good. It's weird. It's a stretch. St. Elsewhere was on NBC Wednesday nights at ten o'clock Eastern. Okay. In that, in the eighties, Wednesday nights in the fall and the winter, I was at Pittsburgh Penguins hockey games. Okay, sitting in E thirty-one row C seat five. <laughs> And I would forget to set the VCR to record St. Elsewhere. And I would literally, between periods, run to a payphone and call my mother and talk her through setting the VCR to record St. Elsewhere when I got home. And people would hear me yelling at her, no, just channel 11 and just hit record. Don't worry about anything else. (laughs) 
Oh, <laughs> it, to Saint Elsewhere. The best show in history. Of very time. loyal base of fans. Yes. Yeah. And I, I read today where it never finished higher than 47th in the oh. rankings in any oh. of its six seasons. A show wouldn't last a season these days with no. those kind of uh, numbers. No. And and you know, and I had totally forgotten Mark Harmon was on there. Yep. Yeah, that's Doctor Caldwell. Bobby and you know Caldwell. how they killed him off? I don't yeah, remember. I think so. They left. He left the series, and they talked about him. He died of AIDS. That's right. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Wow. And then, and of course, he would. Uh, he would uh, definitely go on to bigger things with the NCIS, and uh, and and yeah, and just think, yeah, you know, Denzel Washington was just you know on that <laughs> show. <laughs> just <laughs> Alfrey Woodard was on that show. One of the greatest actresses there is. Yes. Yeah. Yes. yes. Absolutely. Yeah. And, uh, and one of my favorites was on that show, too, uh, Ronnie Cox, because I loved the Be- Beverly Hills Cop movies. Yep. So, and from uh, Deliverance, the movie from yes. uh, the 70s. Yeah. Yes. And, uh, yeah, so, yeah, no, they, had, they, they had a roster of people just uh, unmatched uh, uh, by many, many shows. So good stuff there. Guys, thanks so much for the contributions. Those were outstanding. Thanks, Jeff. Absolutely. All right. Well, uh, once again, Jay Cresswell, Joe Finger, as our special guests on the uh, two-for-one edition of the podcast. Once again, guys, thank you so much for being on. Thanks, Jeff. Enjoyed it, Jeff. Thanks for listening to Jeff Allen Sports Talk. Follow Jeff on Twitter at JeffAllen underscore 88, on Facebook at JeffAllen88, and the website JeffAllenSportsTalk.com. And you can reach out to the show anytime by email, JeffAllenSportsTalk at gmail.com. Jeff Allen Sports Talk is brought to you exclusively by Kramer's Salve for Dogs. Does your dog itch, suffer from debilitating skin allergies, or trouble hot spots? We have the solution using the healing power of neem. Kramer's Salve is a safe and natural approach to help your best friend live an itch-free life. Go to KramerSalve.net to order today with new low pricing. That's K-R-A-M-E-R-S-A-L-V-E dot net.